chapter 6 today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. Feel free to grab one, uh, or you can follow along on the, uh, on the screen, at least here in a second. Um, today we're looking at the faithfulness of God and our faithful response to Him. We're looking at how faithful He is. Uh, Jesus is God who is faithful who didn't have to enter into human history, but did enter into human history, did not have to become a man, but did become a man, came to save us from ourselves while we were still rejecting him. He loved us first before we ever loved him, before anything. He is faithful and true. And that's what he's come and done in his life, death, and resurrection. He's died to give us life. Uh, As a church, we work through the Bible, typically what's called line by line, or the fancy word for it uh, is exposition or in an expository way. Uh, What that means simply is that we take the Bible and we pick a book and we work through that book and we work through every line and almost every word probably. We probably at least say every word. We might not parse every it and that, but we work through the thing and and we go from the beginning to the end. And even when we feel like there's a special topic we need to talk about, maybe we we feel like, oh, we need to talk about money, we need to talk about this, we still try and find a larger section or like at Christmas we work through a section of Luke and still work through it line by line. And we do this for at least three reasons, if not more. Uh, On the top of the list, I think this is one of the best ways for you to learn how to read your Bible for yourself. Um, Whether you're a Christian or you're not and you're here today, I want you to read this book because in this book are the words of life. Uh, This isn't just the book that we read. This is the book that reads us. And in it is the power to save because this is the truth about who Jesus is. And there's few things more valuable to me as a preacher than to help you understand this book for yourself. And even so, you can check me. Because guess what? Fallible human, infallible word, inerrant word, just a dude, right? Um, So read it for yourself. Uh, The second reason uh, is I'm not that creative or clever and I don't want to be. Uh, I want to come to the word every week uh, as God has led us to a book or a section and come to it not to say, what do I feel like ranting about at the church today, but what does God have for the church today as we engage the word and what does God have for us and what's the actual point of this message? Uh, Thirdly, and why we're even saying all these things today, when you do this, you can't skip stuff. You have to deal with hard stuff. We're in Hebrews, and we're in a warning passage today. It's a hard passage. Uh, I can tell how hard a passage is, for me personally at least, to understand with how many commentaries I consult in a week, how many other voices I need to come in and speak in. Uh, Sometimes it's clear. You're like, oh, I I think I see what it says, and I read it, and then sometimes you check it by a couple. I read like 20 commentaries this week dealing with this particular passage. And if we could skip passages, this would be one that I would skip. (laughs) But here we are, uh, and I think God's got some good stuff for it. Regardless, Um, So I will pray for us and we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day. This is your word, not mine. You have brought us here. Uh, Help guide me and lead me and lead us and guide us as we we dig into your word. We know this is uh, uh, holy and right and good and that these words uh, uh, are are contained here for us because you love us and you want us to know you, Jesus. Uh, and, And I just pray, Lord, that whatever's just of me, that that would be forgotten and lost, but what is of your word would make our hearts sing for joy, Jesus, because you are good and you are gracious and you are holy, and in you there is no dark. You are all light, God. You are wonderful and amazing and perfect, Jesus. And so God, help us. Holy Spirit, come be with us. Help us to understand your word. We love you, Jesus. Uh, amen. Um, So as we look at Jesus' faithfulness and our faithfulness towards him, uh, we are in a passage that I know a lot of people have felt has really... uh, been difficult to understand, and so what we need to do is like 
Like when you're stuck with an engine that's broken, sometimes you have to take the whole thing apart and then put it back together to make it run. Uh, today, we're going to kind of take the whole thing apart and put it back together. Uh, we're going to look at four things in particular on the top, uh, and I'll list them and then I'll read it so it's not weird and out of context, but even as I list them so you can hear them and see where we're going. Uh, we need to talk about, he's, he's going to have this chain of descriptions that I'll read here in a second. We need to talk about who he's talking about. He's going to use a very strong word, and that's the word fallen away, and we're going to have to unpack what that word means. Uh, he's also going to use the word impossible. We'll have to unpack what that word means. Uh, and in addition to that, um, we're going to talk about what it is to restore in the, in the wake of the word impossible. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read the first few verses. We're in Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 4. And then we'll begin to just kind of unpack it as we go. Uh, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Okay, so we have this chain, and that's where we'll start, um, right here in verse 4. In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God, the powers of the age to come. What the heck is he even talking about? Um, let's start just at the top, and we'll just walk through it. Um, okay. Uh, for those who have once been enlightened, uh, people who have heard the gospel message and been excited about it, who have said, oh yeah, that sounds like the truth to me, uh, who have tasted the heavenly gift. Uh, I think here by the heavenly gift, this is Jesus. Uh, The reality of it is, is that you and I cannot get to God. That God in Jesus had to come down and get to us. Um, Both my self-discovery and wiling out and rebelling doesn't get me closer to God. Uh, My good works and my religion, I can't earn my way to God. In fact, God is so holy that he is far from us, but he is so loving that he came down to get us. And you and I didn't earn that. He did that, and that's a gift. That's the heavenly gift. Jesus namely Jesus, he keeps going, and have shared in the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about people who have at least been within the community of faith and have seen the Holy Spirit on the move. They've seen people healed by God in, any, in ways that could only be characterized as miraculous. Uh, have seen people turn from death to life. Right? We did baptisms a few weeks ago. It's awesome because we get to celebrate. Because sometimes when you do baptisms, it, it's the guy who was wiling out and going crazy and God saved him and made him alive. And sometimes it's the guy who's trying to build the ladder up to God and for some reason all their good works still don't get them to God and realize that, oh, I can't get to God. God had to come down to get to me and he did so in Jesus. And either way, we celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit to save people. Uh, Because ultimately, even as we're telling the gospel to our neighbors or our friends or our family members or what it might be, uh, it's not how articulate and eloquent you are. It's God's movement through you to save them, which is good, which gives us a lot of confidence, by the way, when we're actually getting in there. Because, uh, frankly, I have friends who are smarter than me and... Uh, more clever than me and more resistant than me. And, and if I just looked at it and said, how am I going to get in there with this message? Uh, it's up to me. Uh, we'd never get there. But I have great confidence in the God of the universe to get there. Um, but anyways, they've seen the Holy Spirit on the move in the community. Uh, have shared the Holy Spirit. Have tasted the goodness of the word of God. Somebody's opened up the Bible and said, this is what the Bible says. And they said, that's awesome. 
I like that. That's good. It's changed their life. It's warmed their heart. It's, it's, it's moved them away from evil to good, that kind of a thing. Um, the powers of the age to come. Uh, I don't know if you know this about the church, but it is a futuristic community. Uh, and I don't just mean that some of you are reading your Bible on your telephone. Uh, I mean that this is a, is a, is a, time, uh, is a community in which uh, the future reign of God, the kingdom of God, uh, is breaking in now. Because Jesus is restoring all things. That's what he came to do. He came to die on the cross to save a people for himself and to put the whole world back the way it's supposed to be. And he will wipe every tear from every eye and he will put this thing back the way it's supposed to be and this is evidenced even in his miracles. He could have done anything, right? Right? He's the son of God. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He could have flown in the air and shot fireworks off through his fingers and done some loop-de-loops and everyone went, ah, but what did he do? Calm seas. Heals the sick, casts out demons. The, the poor have good news preached to them. People see, people walk. He's restoring, he's putting it back the way it was supposed to be. Right? Because God made it all good. We broke it, human beings broke it, but Jesus came to fix it and will fix it and is fixing it. And even some of that future reality, when it's all put back the way it's supposed to be, is breaking into now, in this community now. It's happening now as people are saying, yeah, I love Jesus and I I, want to live where he is because wherever Jesus is king, the kingdom of God is at work. And there are people that you are sitting next to and yourself hopefully included in that who know that Jesus is king and are living in the future now. I'm not saying it's all fixed. It is a broken world out there. But it's coming and we taste and see it now. So he's saying these are people that have experienced these things. So who are we talking about then when we talk about this chain, uh, these descriptors? Um, Friends, these are people who you and I would say, yeah, that guy is a legit, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christian who turns out to walk away and reject Jesus and reject the church and reject it all. Um, I would also say this isn't just like a theological exercise. You know, when, when, we, when we hit these things, I have, I have friends in mind. I have tearful coffees pleading, see that Jesus is good, see that he is good, don't walk away. I have guys that I was baptized with who are in this camp. The guy who rode on the bus with me when I did not love Jesus and was just telling me, this is what I learned in Isaiah this week, this is what I learned in Isaiah, see it, look, look. The first guy who ever brought me to church, ever, is in this camp. First guys I ever did Bible studies with in this camp. This is not a theological exercise. And if you'd asked me in the moment, I would have said of all of them, those guys are solid. Those guys love Jesus. And frankly, almost every one of them, I think maybe every one of them, would say, yeah, I didn't. I didn't. This isn't a theological exercise. This is, this is the real deal. Um, now we see this. Jesus tells us this is coming. Uh, if you'd go with me to Luke chapter 8. Um, to give the context, I'll read the parable, but we're, we're getting down into 11. 
but I'll start up in four, and I'll just read it quickly, and we'll get there. Uh, and then when a, crowd, a great crowd was gathered, and people uh, from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock as it grew up. It withered away because it had no moisture, and some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked it out, and some fell into the ground, uh, into the good soil, and grew, and yielding a hundredfold, As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. Skip down with me to 11. Jesus will unpack it for us. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones among the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. Uh, If you are not a Christian, you are hearing this today. If this is resonating in any way whatsoever for you, track with us. I'm not saying you, get, you have to get baptized right now, but come back next week. Uh, get with somebody who will understand, help you understand the Bible. Come to our Bible study. Bring any question you have. You don't have a question that people in this community are afraid of. I don't know if you know that. You've got nothing that any of us are afraid of because when you look around this room, you see a bunch of people who had the same questions you have. And Jesus saved us too. So don't, you know, don't worry. We won't get weird. I promise. But I would encourage you, if this is resonating at all, don't let it fall. Take a Bible and never come back and read it. Start in Matthew and read it. Go, go to some other church. I don't care. Get saved. All I want in your life is that you would know God in Jesus. Okay? Please. That's an aside, though. Because that's not what the sermon's about. Um, I mean, it is about that, but not. Um, so that they may not believe uh, and be saved. Uh, 13. And this is who I think we're talking about here in Hebrews. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they heard the word of God, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while. And in time of testing, same word again, fall away. That sounds nice. That sounds good. And then the pressures of the world, the pressures of your college prof, your friends, your mom, your dad, uh, whatever, whoever. It gets to be too much. It's too hard. Uh, just the general stuff of society or life. Other things seem more attractive or wonderful than Jesus, and they they take us away. And then he goes on, of course, because it doesn't just stop there either, by the way. Uh, But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among thorns... They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. I think in that case, we're actually talking about legitimate Bible-believing Christians who let the cares of the world take them away and get them distracted from Jesus, right? Money becomes their thing. Success becomes their thing. Status becomes their thing. Fame becomes their thing. Power becomes their thing. Having a house becomes their thing. Living in the city, living in the country, whatever, whatever some other thing becomes more important, right? But God is still gracious, And then finally, of course, this is where we want to land and who we want to be. As for that in good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold fast to it, and in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. They keep tracking after Jesus in thick and thin, and they see that he's God and keep following him. Um, Likewise, uh, kind of what we're dealing with here is in 1 John 2, verse 19. I can get the next one because I didn't. There it is. Okay. Okay. John is a fisherman, and Greek's not his first language. 
which means when he writes stuff, it's really, really clear and also kind of repetitive. Uh, they went out from us. He's talking about these, these same people that we're, we're speaking of today that this chain is referring to. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Uh, and here's who we're not talking about. We're not talking about someone who transfers their membership to another church, okay? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who walk away from Jesus is what we're talking about. Uh, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, he repeats himself a lot, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. These are people who you would have said, yeah, he, he was the guy that baptized me. He was the guy that invited me to church. He was my preacher. Right? Let's keep going. Number two, this idea of fallen away. Let's, let's talk about who we're not talking about here. Um, there's a way in which you and I fall away from the truth every week, every day, maybe. Um, by that I mean, there's a time when we don't believe he's sovereign over all things. We lose faith and trust that he's got it, he's got us, and he's got everything. And so we try and control others or control our situation. Or somehow, like, even I think we can almost feel like, if I can just worry a little bit more, I can really change what's going If I lose a little more sleep, I can really change what's completely and totally out of my hands. We try and do whatever we can to control the situation, and frankly, that's just not the case. He is sovereign, and he's got it, right? Uh, uh, likewise... Uh, when we while out, when we walk away from Jesus, when we get into what's more typical, what we think of uh, as, as typical sin, like I'm going to go out and get loaded or whatever that thing might be, uh, that flows from us thinking that something else is better or brings more joy than Jesus. We miss that he invented everything and he made everything for joy that we would experience our life and be pointed back up to him. That everything about our lives, all these things, it's, it's not don't get loaded, it's use beer what it's for, to point us to Jesus in joy, right? That's the point of everything, and we lose sight of that. And we've got our own things. Maybe it's lotto tickets, I don't know what you got, right? But we all got things that we think are better than Jesus, and we walk away. That does not mean falling away. This is like a, you walked away, you sinned, and guess what? You're a Christian, which means you repent and you turn back, right? That's welcome to Christianity, right? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Jesus, that's who. Um, this is not a license to do whatever you want to do. Uh, it's the fact that Jesus saves sinners. See the difference there? This isn't go and spend all your food money on lotto tickets. It's that if you did that last night, Jesus saves sinners, which is good news. Uh, we also forget that he's gracious. It's the flip, I would say flip side, which is like a wrong construct. The other side of the coin is that we get in the mentality that if I just try harder and do more, God will love me. He'll, he'll know me, he'll forgive me, he'll take care of me if I just try harder and do more. But that's not the gospel either. The gospel is not that you can get to God, but that God came down to get to you. Now we get to live in response. Yeah, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Love God, love people, do it for sure, but do it because he loved you first. It's response. It, it's not that he's keeping score. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about falling away here. That's the normal Christian life, being sanctified and turning back to Jesus, okay? The reason we have to do this is because, honestly, this is a passage that if you might be, you might be knee-deep in your own junk right now, and when you get to a passage like this in the text, you just feel like you're drowning. But that's not what this text is about. 
I think I can, I can show you that. Uh, not only that, there's a lot of people this isn't talking about. So we aren't talking about people who are warring against their sin. We're not talking about people who are in the midst of the struggle. We're not even talking about the people who feel like they have lost the war, right? Or at least the battle. That's not who we're talking about. Because this isn't talking about people who know, Jesus, I'm in a lot of trouble and I need you to save me. That's being a Christian. Welcome to the team. Okay? We're not talking about those people. That's not what we're talking about falling away. And we're not talking about those who are losing the struggle. We're not talking about if you got some dry bones right now. By that I mean, you're like, man, I had this vibrant spiritual life and I feel like I'm just in a dry season and God feels far from me right now. I love Jesus. He feels far and I need help. Welcome to the normal Christian life. If you want Jesus, if Jesus is your aim, this isn't talking about you. He's given you his word, he's given you his spirit, he's given you his people. Use the means of grace he's given you, and they're just that, they're a gift. Keep tracking with him, keep pursuing him, keep following him, keep having people tell you the truth. Because sometimes, honestly, friends, when we, we have these moments of dryness, we can almost get to the point where we just want someone to tell us, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going, to be, it's going to be fine. Well, in fact, sometimes what we actually need is like, man, I don't believe he's good right now. I don't believe he's sovereign right now. I don't believe his grace right now. And we need someone to remind us, he died on that cross. I paid the price for your sins, and you're his, and he's yours, and he loves you. And we don't need to hear, buck up, cowboy. And honestly, sometimes we get in those modes where it's just like, man, I, I, I bombed the test. I failed the class. I got fired from my job, whatever it might be. And our inclination in helping people is to say, don't worry, another job will come along. It probably will. That's fine. But honestly, what I need in that moment is not to hear another job's going to come along. I need to hear that Jesus has not forgotten you and didn't, wasn't surprised by the F that came up on the radar. Jesus wasn't surprised that you failed the test. He wasn't surprised that you lost the job. He loves you. He has you. He's got you. And yeah, let's help you. There's the practical in there. But honestly, the first thing I need to hear in that moment is he loves you. He's got you. So we're not talking about dry. We're not talking about dormant. What do I mean by dormant? Uh, that guy who got saved, who did have that vibrant spiritual life, legitimately loves Jesus and checked out from church like 20 years ago. Checked out for family member. Yeah, I read the Bible in 1977. <laughs> that was a while ago. Um, <laughs> There's good stuff in there. But as a legitimate Christian, just dry and dormant, mothballed. You want more for them, but I don't think that's who we're talking about. And we're not talking about running. I have a, I have a friend um, who, when I became a Christian, was not happy about it at all. Thought it was stupid. Later, a few years, run into him. Say, hey, I was sorry. I grew up in the church. I've been running from Jesus. I've been rejecting him. I've been saying I don't believe in him. And he just keeps loving me. Right? He just keeps telling him, I love you. <laughs> I love you. You're mine. Turns out his love gets us, right? So we're not talking about Peter here. We're not talking about, hey, do you know that Galilean peasant preacher that we we're going to crucify? No, I don't know that guy. Don't you speak Galilean? Aren't you his buddy? No, no, no. Jesus? No, I don't. I, I've been fishing these last three years. Uh, three times, Peter denies him. Rooster crows, he cries, he weeps. But then what does Jesus do? John 20, 21, 21. 
Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you? He restores him. He does the same thing. He works it backwards. He totally denied Jesus. But we're not talk, that's not who we're talking about here. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, rather, we're talking about the apostate. That is a fancy, fancy, fancy word to say not a, a rejecter of Jesus, open enemy of Jesus and his people. Where do I get that um, from the rest of the context here? Back in 6. And having fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him to contempt. Uh, I think what he's after here, he's not talking about a literal re-crucifixion of Jesus. This Greek word is actually re-crucify. Uh, it's not a literal re-crucifixion. He's in heaven on the throne and he will never be crucified again. We stand on that truth. Um, what I think he does mean here is that you go from standing with the friends of God, you go with standing with Jesus' people, to standing as enemies of God and as enemies of Jesus' people. And so then what you do is you go, from, go from people saying, that is God himself crucified for my sins, died to wash me clean from all my sins and all my iniquities, rose to give me life. He is my God. He is my Savior. He is my salvation. He is my life. To saying, that guy on the cross was a liar. That guy on the cross was a lunatic. That guy on the cross is not Lord. And so in so doing, you go from staying with the people who say, that was Messiah crucified to saying, that wasn't it. That wasn't him. So you begin to, you transfer teams. You switch sides. You were in like Flint, and all of a sudden you're on the other side applauding the work that they did in crucifying that guy because he is not Messiah. It's an active opposition to Jesus from one who once was actively saying they loved him. That's what I think it means by re-crucify. You're applauding the work of those who crucified Jesus. Okay, so back up in 6, we have these words. You see the engine's now starting to come apart. We're about to put it back together, I promise. Um, two words appear here. Restore and repentance. Restore and repentance. Uh, restore, I believe, means the thing we do when we see a friend or a brother in Christ off the tracks. It's that really awkward coffee conversation where you say, hey, brother, this is what the Bible says, this is what you're doing, and they're different. And mind you, this is, not, this is not to be done. I mean, this is, if you've ever had one of these, you're there, it's awkward, you're at the Tully's, and you're crying, and you're pleading, and you're begging. Please, please, Jesus is Jesus. Do not wander away. Restoration is to be a heartfelt activity. And repentance is our act of turning from sin to Jesus. Okay, so I think that's what he's after. Now, what does that actually look like? Uh, the Bible uses the word, speak the truth in love. Okay, so it's not just hammering people with the truth. It's the truth in love. Because frankly, if I'm off the tracks, you know the most loving thing you can do on my life is? Is not to be, well, you know, it would kind of upset him if I said that he's off gospel. It's to speak the truth in love. It's not just the truth in coldness or as, 
I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's, it means with compassion, with kindness, with caring. Because there's nothing more loving than speaking that truth. Because sometimes we confuse being loving with what's comfortable for us. Sometimes we look at something and we're like, I can see chapter and verse. That guy is an open rebellion against God. But it's really going to make the next family reunion uncomfortable if I say anything to him about it. It's going to make the next time me and all my buddies hang out really, really uncomfortable if I have that coffee meeting with him and say, buddy, man, I love you. I care. Remember who Jesus is? I mean, that's where you start. Start with who Jesus is. Remember who Jesus is? This is what you're doing. This is what the Bible says. And they're different. And sometimes it's just really uncomfortable. You should never actually, like, just as a total aside, if you're, if you're ready to get up in the morning and really like, I got a, I got a rebuke meeting with somebody. and I'm going to let them have it. Go back to bed. <laughs> if you're not ready to cry your eyes out, I'm, I'm cool. I, was, I bought my kid a toy crossbow yesterday. I can say this stuff. I don't care, right? If you're not ready to cry your eyes out about it, if you're not sick in your stomach about it, you're probably not ready to talk to them about it. If you don't care about their soul, if you're just going to have the meeting so you can tell, hey, I really answered to that guy, go home. Go home. These are my friends. Right? This is not an abstraction. These are our friends. Right? These are people who you would have said, man, he was solid. Now he says Jesus is a liar. And all his friends, these books. Some guy on PBS. I like PBS, by the way. I'm not, I'm not trying to be polemic there. That's not what I'm saying. Ken Burns is awesome. Um, and sometimes we miss speaking the truth versus, and, and miss... That, that we're just trying to keep the peace, right? Because sometimes the truth messes stuff up when we say the truth. Don't, don't confuse it. This is what the Bible says, and this is what you're doing. And also, there's, there's few things more loving than in my life when someone's actually done that. Sitting in a gross, single-guy room, there, hanging out, and saying, hey, man, what's going on in your life? This is who Jesus, someone has done that in my life, got me back on track, changed my life. God used that as a means of grace in my life. If he had not done that, I don't know where I would be right now. Right? Not an abstraction. So restoration is what we do. Repentance is what they do. And then we get to this word impossible. That's kind of a scary word. Um, why is it impossible? Why does this word impossible come up in restoration? Second uh, Peter chapter two verse twenty says it this way, uh, regarding the same kind of situation. Uh, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them uh, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. That is some strong warning language. Uh, and remember Peter's doing it because he loves these people. He's their pastor. He cares about them. Um, this impossible word's really, really scary. Um, now, what I think he means here, and I've experienced this myself, and, and even here as we read into Hebrews, it, he goes on, right? Um, 
For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near being cursed and ends up to be burned. So in one of those awkward conversations, often what happens, it's different when you're, when you're trying to share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus. They bring up all these wacky questions. Like, I never thought about that one. Let me, let me get back to you on that one. Sure, no problem. Let's... Let's go, let's get coffee again, let's talk. When that person who was, who seemed to be solid, just pray for you, all that stuff, and you're sitting there, all of a sudden you say, well, you know, this is what the Bible says, and they say, well, you know what else the Bible says? And they take a verse radically out of context, change some of the words around, and spit it back at you. Well, you know what Philippians says? La, 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 la. And then you're even just, you're just running through the weeds and you have to be like, well, that's not what Philippians says. Let's go back to Philippians and look what it says and untangle it. Like, this is what it actually says. And you're just a dog chasing its tail because they just keep throwing stuff at you that they learned where? Here. Bible study. Well, you know what R.C. Sproul says? You're using R.C. Sproul. That, what are you talking about? He wears a suit all the time. That's not what he said. I don't know what a suit has to do with it, but you know what I mean? Dude is conservative, is what I'm saying. But you take it and you twist the words and you throw it back. And so you're busy, just like a dog chasing the tails. You're trying to restore them and you can't even get to the heart of the matter. And often what I find is it's, it's never just doctrine. It's, there's, a, there's a personal thing back there. And even as people are like, well, I was reading this one guy. You know, one of the... I don't, one of the guys who's the most popular dude out there right now for people who are sort of in the camp of being against Jesus uh, was a roommate of a friend of mine at Bible college. They were homies. They did youth ministry together. And, and people say, well, you know, he's, really obje- he's got a really objective view on this. Dude does not have an objective view on this. He is angry at Jesus. He is angry at his people, and he's trying to destroy them. I don't have an objective view. I believe Jesus. He is my friend. He is my God, and I believe his word. My view is not objective. He's my friend. I love Jesus. I want you to meet Jesus. I want you to know Jesus more. I am not a scientist. I am a preacher. I want you to meet Jesus if you don't know him. And if you do know him, I want you to go deeper with him. My view is not objective, but neither is theirs. You know, they got you get the PBS, it's the Discovery Channel, and he's got their title, and he's a PhD, and he speaks, you know, Aramaic. He doesn't just speak Aramaic, he speaks Ugaritic. You don't even know what Ugaritic is. Because nobody speaks Ugaritic. He says, well, you know, in Gilgamesh, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Nine times out of ten, every time I've had that prof, every time I've gotten to know that guy, there's a story back there. It's not just doctrine. There's a personal thing back there, and they're not objective either. But they've come to use the Bible as the thing that they just throw the rocks back at you the whole time. Now, this is a warning passage for us. This is not us saying... Well, should I stop meeting with that guy and talking to him about Jesus? No, that's not what we're talking about here. Keep meeting with him. Keep talking about Jesus. Keep telling him the truth. This is a warning for us not to grow hard-hearted because the other thing is this idea of repentance. And the impossibility is that when you turn so in on yourself, uh, it's, it's hard to see the light and it's hard to see the truth and, and you don't want to listen to the, the non-scientist preacher, but you do want to listen to the scientific sort of guy over here with the PhD in the Discovery Channel. Um, and I read those guys. I'm not, I'm not afraid of them, right? I'm not afraid to read what they have and, you know, studying Old Testament stuff. You read a lot of guys who you don't agree with. It's okay. I'm not saying don't read those 
those guys. I'm just not afraid of them, but I'm just saying they're just not as objective as they want you to think they are, okay? Are we, I just want to be clear on that one, right? But even in the, the impossibility of repentance, um, uh, because the, the rain has landed, right? They have these experiences. Maybe it's even a personal experience. My dad, my mom, my preacher, my kids ministry person, my youth ministry person, this person, this lady was not nice to me at church or whatever the thing might be, and that's your reason for rejecting Jesus, and then you have all this Jesus stuff to say why you reject Jesus, but um, here's the good news of impossible. Let's turn it around. Let's put the engine back together. Here's the good news of impossible. Uh, if I could get the next slide, please. Um, <clears throat> one of the cool things is that this word I don't think is actually referring to God, though. This is the human plane. Uh, this means that when someone's out there, and God's the only one that knows if they're out there and knows their heart, um, we're just going to keep telling them the truth, and it's going to fall on deaf ears. Um, however, uh, this is in the context, Mark 10, 27 is in the context of the rich young ruler, if you know this story. Uh, he follows all the commandments. He's got a lot of money. Everybody would look at him and say he's holy and he's blessed. And Jesus says, he says, what should I do to inherit the kingdom? Jesus said, one thing you lack, leave all your stuff and follow me. No, I have a lot of nice stuff. I have a hi-fi and a, and a house in the Bahamas. If I leave and follow you, I have to give up my hi-fi? It's a record player, by the way. Um, and the disciples look at him and say, well, clearly he's rich, so God must have blessed him, because they're wrong, by the way. Um, it does not necessarily mean that God has blessed them. He just has some stuff. But he seems to be following all the rules. If he can't save himself, if he can't get himself to God, who can get himself to God? It's a bit of a paraphrase, by the way, but that's the heart behind the, the thing they're saying. What does Jesus say to them? It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man enter the kingdom of God. But then says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible. Back to where we are in Hebrews. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. Impossible is not something God knows about. He knows about it, but it's not applying to him. The only time the word impossible is ever applied to God is when it talks about his unchanging character and nature. It is impossible for God to lie. Why? Because in God there's all light and no dark. Because he himself is the truth. That's why it's impossible for God to lie, because it's his, his very nature is non-liar. His action, there's nothing beyond him. So you might have that friend, and they may keep watching the Discovery Channel, and they may keep bringing it up at Christmas, and you, what do you do? You pray, because they're not beyond the hand of God. They're not beyond the sovereign grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one is beyond the grasp of Jesus Christ, period. You are not beyond the grasp of Jesus Christ. You might be knee-deep in all of your junk. You need to know you are not outside of his love. Even if this isn't you, even if you're not the apostate, you're just knee-deep in the muck and the mire. You are not beyond his love. You cannot out the cross of Jesus Christ. You're already a victor if you're his. I'm not saying don't keep fighting. I'm just saying. Luke 137, uh, this is some of the infancy narrative, just straight up says it, for nothing will be impossible with God. These impossible and impossible, uh, these are the same Greek word that is here represented in Hebrews, by the way. So what's the good news? You might not be able to, even in the empowering work of the Spirit, he's not going to use you to save them in that way. Doesn't mean you stop. It means that they are not beyond the grasp of God. You have no one in your life. That guy that I got baptized with, that guy that invited me to church, they are not beyond the sovereign grasp of God. When the darkest seems the darkest, that's when God likes to move. Because when he does that, you know what happens? Everyone says, man, that guy was gone. 
What are you doing at church? I had a dream last night, and Jesus told me to be here. Oh, yay! (laughs) So this is a hard passage, but guess what? It doesn't stop there. What does it say? In my Bible, it's on the next page, and so you have to flip it, and you're like, oh, there it is. Uh, Though, oh, though we speak this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. (sighs) All right, let's go. Okay? Though we speak this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. Remember who we're talking about here. We're talking about people who have have felt the pressure of loving Jesus. Uh, The community, the Jewish community around them have not accepted Jesus as Messiah, are becoming less and less comfortable with this new sect that's popping up and saying that Jesus is God and Jesus is Messiah, and it's getting uncomfortable for everybody. And not to mention that the temple is very crunchy. They know they show up, they offer the sacrifice, the priest says your sins are forgiven, go in peace, yada yada, and they like it. Jesus is a little less tangible. You have to believe in the promises of God when he says you're washed clean and forgiven. You don't have a priest saying, and you killed a goat, so you're washed clean and forgiven. You have Jesus' blood, which, by the way, we're also told in Hebrews, and we'll get there, it's impossible for that blood, the goats and the bulls, to completely wash you clean. But if you're a Christian, you've been completely washed clean by Jesus Christ. You have nothing on the cross. You have not outsinned the cross of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Though we speak this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. Why? For God is not... Wait, that's why. That's why my hope and confidence in my own life and walk does not rest in me. It rests in Him. Your hope and your confidence doesn't rest in a preacher, doesn't even rest in you. And in fact, if you hear 10 years from now, I'm standing outside the camp throwing rocks at Jesus, it's me who's wrong and not his word. I'm the one that's wrong, not the Bible. I'm the one that's wrong, not Jesus. Take that to the bank. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and love. And when it says work, it, it, it doesn't mean works theology. It doesn't mean doing things to get saved. Work always means loving God and loving people. Look at it. It's always about responding to Jesus and his gospel. It's not whether or not you punched in some overtime on Bible study. Okay? Read the Bible because it's the word of God, not so that you'll get to heaven. If you're a Christian, you're already on your way to be with him forever. Read it because you're on your way to be with him forever, and it is his word and his voice. Uh, for God is not unjust as to overlook your work, And the love that you have shown for what? For his name. For him. Your love for him. It may be dry. It may be dark. It may be hard. It may be a bad season. You might be losing the war against your sin a lot. But what do you know about yourself? That you love Jesus. And that he loved you first. And he is faithful to complete the good work he started in you. He's not done with you. For God, <laughs> for God, the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. What does he lean on? You love God. When it says name, when you see in the name, think in the Bible, that means you can think person. The name, the name Jesus isn't just like uh, five letters. It's not four, it's five, right? They're five good letters. We really like them. But when it says name, it doesn't just mean his name. It means him. In your name, in you, Jesus, when we pray in your name, we're praying 
Not just in the five letters, but in your name, in you, Jesus. In your name. So you love him and you love his people. So you're sitting there and you read this. You're at home and it's dark and you're scared. And you read it and you're like, oh man, have I fallen away and is it impossible for me? And what am I going to do? God, I love you. And stop right there. You already know you're in. If your response is, but I love you, Jesus, and I feel like I'm, I'm messed up right now. Welcome to Team Christianity. <laughs> You're sitting with a bunch of messed up, screwed up people who Jesus has been very gracious to, right? It's evidence. You love him and you love his people. That's how you know you're his. Now, this is because Jesus is faithful. When we don't believe Jesus is faithful, we don't believe he's faithful to his word, Right? It all starts to fall apart, and the guy on the Discovery Channel who thinks that the chariots of fire are UFOs, actual Hebrew teacher of mine, by the way, at a different school, um, yeah, that's, yeah, you, chariots of fire, UFOs, that starts, that makes some sense, sure. We don't believe he's faithful to his promises. I don't feel forgiven. Sometimes we just, uh, I know he's forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. Friends, that's not your job. I know he's forgiven me, I just can't forgive myself. You're not the one that gets to forgive you. Jesus is. But we don't believe he's faithful to his promises. We don't believe he's faithful to cleanse us or renew us. Uh, we don't believe he's faithful to his church because we look around and we see the church, the big C church or the church that you're in, and you look around and you're like, man, he shouldn't have said that. Or uh, those people were rude or whatever the thing is. Or like there's that lady who comes and uh, when someone new comes, tells uh, the new ladies who come in, the length that their skirt needs to be. Had a real friend who was a pastor of a real church in another state, and it was her job, apparently, if your skirt was not very, very long, to walk them and say, we're so glad that you're here, but next week, make sure that it's whatever. I don't even know. I don't, it's not, we don't do that, right? Like, that's not the deal. But guess how many people didn't come back and said, I don't want to be involved with those people. There's a lot of brokenness in the church. And we conflate the brokenness of human beings with the goodness of Jesus Christ. And we say, well, the whole thing's broken because there's a bunch of broken people in there. Um, we don't believe that he's faithful to us. He didn't, he didn't get me married. He didn't get me money. He didn't get me health. He didn't get me wealth. He's not taking care of me. He doesn't love me. And I'm walking away and finding someone, something else that'll work. Uh, we don't believe he's faithful to his program. We look around and we see this world is broken. And it's not getting better today. And we say, well, if, if there's a God in the universe, how could there be a broken world? And we walk away. Uh, here's what we miss. Jesus is faithful to his word. This isn't just a book we read. This is the book that reads us. This is the voice of God. He has protected it. He has preserved it. And honestly, if there's a problem that we have understanding it, oftentimes we need to get out of the confusing verses like I did with impossible and go find some higher ground to try and understand the less clear verses. Uh, likewise, I understand that if I can't get something in the Bible, if I keep scratching my head and looking at it, it's me that's the problem. It's not the book. And then I, find, I keep working on it, working on it, and then God shows up and shows what he means. There's hard, I'm not saying there's not hard, confusing stuff in here. Genesis 6 is really weird. There's an answer in there. I didn't have one for years. When I am, I'm like, oh, duh. Turns out Jesus had the answer. But that is a complete aside. And if Genesis 6 is bothering you, I'd love to talk to you about it. Um, but he is faithful to his He is faithful to his promises. On the cross, Jesus said this, it is finished. 
That can also be rendered paid in full. You might not feel forgiven, but you are forgiven. You might not feel washed clean, but you are washed clean. This is called sanctification, where God is making you more like his son in the process of your life, refining you. And he will make you complete. It will happen. He is faithful to his promises. That's how he is. That's how he rolls. He doesn't lie. He is faithful to his church. Look at the last 2,000 years of of church history and you are going to find a lot of broken, jacked up, miserable people saying things that are just broken, miserable, and jacked up. But you know what God's done? He's been faithful with broken human beings to accomplish his kingdom purposes. Because we're not perfect people and this will never be the perfect church. But Jesus is faithful to use broken people to accomplish his kingdom purposes. And so we must be careful not to conflate that Sunday school teacher who was so mean to you for no good reason with whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Because those are two different issues. But we kind of can make them one. Jesus is faithful to use broken people to do amazing things. Amazing things. He's faithful to us. So yeah, he's not a cosmic pinata. Sorry. You might not get married. You might not have kids. You might not get a house. You might never have money. You might not be healthy. You might not be wealthy. In fact, I'll tell you what the Bible does say. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. You're welcome. But here's what else it says. He is faithful to complete the good work that he began in you. He says that, that Paul says, whether I, I know how to, to be brought high, to have lots of stuff, or to be brought low, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not height, nor depth, nor powers and principalities will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So no, you might not have a four-car garage, but I tell you what, the cosmic God of the universe will not leave you. Which is better? Four-car garage, cosmic God of the universe. He is faithful. No one said being a Christian would be easy. Right? You have to bear your cross daily. But what we have been told is our yoke will be light because we have Jesus. And finally... Jesus is faithful to his program. Um, don't count slowness, Peter warns us. Just because he's not here yet, doesn't think he's not, don't think he's not coming. He's coming. He is returning. That's half the reason we even celebrate Christmas. He will wipe every tear from every eye. He will save his people. He will restore this world. He is putting it back together. And guess what? You and I are not God, which means you and I don't get to set the kingdom of God timetable. We get to be faithful here in this time and trust him. And he's bringing an end to it all. There will be an end to all evil. There will be an end to all sickness. There will be an end to all sin. There will be an end to all death. And he's going to do that through his cross and through his resurrection. This is the truth. And he's faithful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord we just pray for, for our friends who are struggling. That they wouldn't just think this is about understanding the text, but about knowing your voice. This isn't just the book that we read. This is the book that reads us. God, you're God. We trust you, Jesus. Help us. We're broken. We're fallen. We're not perfect. We're sinners. We get religious when we're not sinning, and we, we sin that way. We do whatever it might be, but God, we just pray your grace and mercy and favor upon us. Lighting us a white hot passion for you because you have loved us. You love us more than we love ourselves. You love us more than we can even imagine.
And help us, God, to just love your name and love others and not freak out and not check where somebody else is at with their walk in you or judging ourselves by someone else's maturity. But, God, that we live our life in response to your body broken and blood shed for us to save us from ourselves and to give us life. You give us life and you give us joy and we just praise your holy name. Help us, God, to get up and sing for your good. God, we pray all these things for your glory and for our joy in your name. Jesus Christ, amen.